Exodus chapter 18, I'd like to share with you a message entitled, The Brilliant Biblical Development of Governance. The Brilliant Biblical Development of Governance. In the book of Exodus, we're in chapter 18, so I'm going to encourage you to go there if you would like to, uh, follow along, highlight if you'd like. Uh, This is verse 13. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge? While all these people stand around you from morning till evening. Moses answered him, because the people come to me and seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. Everybody needs a good father-in-law to share with you. What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice And may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officers over thousands, hundreds, fifties and tens have them serve as judges for the people at all times but have them bring every difficult case to you the simple cases they can decide themselves that will make your load lighter because they will share it with you if you do this and god so commands you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied moses like a good son-in-law listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. The brilliant biblical development of governance. This particular portion of Exodus that we've read in chapter 18 is known as the Jethro Principle. The Jethro Principle. Jethro is the name of the father-in-law. And most commonly it is taught, and appropriately so, that this particular passage is about time management, weight management, not weight management, (laughs) not weight management, heaviness management, load management is really what I meant to say. Thank you. Correct the pastor at all times. Okay. This is about delegation. This is about making sure that you're not under too much pressure, too much stress. And there's some fantastic lessons to learn about the Jethro Principle from this particular passage, especially if you are doing too much and if you seem to be the center of a lot of decisions that are in your life. For example, one of the lessons you learn is that you have to know your own limitations. These, by the way, are fantastic practical, implementable skills that you really need to understand from this Jethro principle. Number two, the creation of teams and the development of leadership. Uh, Number three, the delegation of authority. Moses is told by his father-in-law to make sure that you give authority to these people so that they can help you govern. There's lessons in this passage about the ability to listen to close advisors, which Moses does. The word in the passage in chapter 18 that we just read is the word shema. 
And for those of you who have been around for a little while, you know that the word Shema, the Hebrew word, comes from the Deuteronomy 6, 4 passage, which means to listen and to pay attention. And this is exactly what Moses does. He heeds, he listens, he pays attention to a close advisor, his father-in-law. And attention to the big things. In other words, you can't do everything, so do the big things. Make decisions on the things that have greatest impact. And the things that have less of an impact, make sure that you delegate to others. This is what's known as the Jethro principle. The principle and the idea that you can't do it all. Load management is about making sure that you take on the things that are of highest priority and you delegate the things that are of lowest priority. And I would like to suggest to you that these are fantastic principles. And this is something that maybe we can talk about after service or maybe you are in that particular situation and circumstance where you're just under too much, doing too many things. And the Jethro principle is a really great principle for you to adhere to, to say, you know what? I need to stop doing everything. I need to stop thinking that I'm really the central driving authority and power in all of the decisions in all of my life and for all the people that I'm responsible for. This is something that we should all uh, really heed and take uh, attention. Tonight, however, what I'd like to do is go a little bit deeper than that. I'd like to ask some big questions about why is this passage here? What is really going on? Because I think in addition to the Jethro principle being delegation of responsibility, making sure that you're not doing too much. There's also some really big questions, really big issues that this passage is addressing about the whole of the biblical agenda starting from Genesis chapter 1. And if you've been with Spark for a little while, you know that there are some grand narratives and there's some grand themes that pull through these passages. And if we can get to some of these big questions, then I think we will draw from this passage some brilliant insights that might actually make a huge difference for how we think about government, for how we think about populations, for how we think about building a nation, and for how we think about managing our own time and our own lives. There's big questions and big themes, such as the creation theme is going to pull through. I'm going to highlight for you some of those pieces where the creation narrative is coming through. And then what I think is really brilliant about this passage is the wise governance of a nation. Remember, this passage, chapter 18, is not just good advice, although Jethro says it's good advice. This passage comes in the middle of the entire Exodus story. Remember, the nation, the people of Israel were enslaved. Then they had the plagues, and then they got expelled, shot out of Egypt. They got freed and got liberated from Egypt. And once they got out of there, they are now having to learn what does it mean to be a people? What does it mean to be a nation? And what happens in this passage, I think, sets the foundation for something that radically shifts in the minds of these people way back then and something that you and I actually enjoy still today. And if we miss those pieces of the puzzle, we might miss some of the brilliance of the development of how to govern a people, how to live. So that's what we're going to get to. Jethro principles about good advice, about delegation of responsibility. But tonight what we're going to talk about is the Jethro principle also being about huge themes about how we live in this world and create a people group in this world. Exodus 18, starting in verse 13 and 14, and they stood around him from morning 
till evening. Why is that important? Because this is the very first glimpse and clue that we have that something is desperately wrong with how Moses is governing. There's something not right. Why? Because morning and evening or evening and morning reminds you of what? The creation story where God took everything that was chaos, imbued it with his presence, his spirit, his voice, and turned it into something beautiful and orderly. But the order of this passage, and they stood around him from morning till evening, is actually backwards. It should be from evening to morning. That is the way that the Genesis 1 narrative is set up. So right here at the very beginning, we get a clue that something is backwards about how Moses is conducting business. And that is a little clue, a little kickback, a little reminiscence back to Genesis chapter 1. From morning till evening, it should be in proper order from evening to morning. Second, in in the next verse, they say, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Now this word seek is the word drash. Drash is a Hebrew word which means to interpret. Not just to seek out what God's will is, but to actually discern it, to interpret it, to hear it, and to then make it applicable in the world according to how you understand its meaning. You look at something and you decide, is this a duck or is this a rabbit? It's not that you don't know that there is something in front of you. It is, what does it mean? What is the interpretation How shall we understand? And what they're trying to interpret is God's will, his delight, his pleasure. What is it that God wants to have happen in this world? Backwards creation. Next in verse 15, the entire people group, the entire community is coming together. What really is the meaning of God's will in this world? And then this beautiful passage in verse 17 where Jethro comes to him. And says to Moses, listen, this isn't working out. What you're doing is not good. Does anybody remember the first time God says this exact phrase? It is not good. It is not good for man to be alone. So this particular passage in Exodus 18, where it looks like governance looks like management, is really pulling in all of these strings from creation and exploding the definition of aloneness, not just to being lonely or not just to being uh, by yourself. It's exploding the definition now to how you are to manage people, how you are to manage a nation, how you are to govern a group. The expansion of not good that man should be alone, is now imbued with a much bigger definition for how you are to live as a people into this world. And I think this is also highlighted with this next particular verse in verse 18. Um, The phrase there in the Hebrew is actually literally, you will crumble. Uh, I think the English says that they will not bear the weight or they will not, you know, handle the strain. But the Hebrew behind it really has this idea that the nation that you are supposed to be robust, built up, strengthened, fortified, is actually going to crumble. So it's not just about 
energy management. Oh, I'm getting tired. In fact, I think one translation actually says that you will get tired and the people will get tired. It's actually much more strong than that. It actually means something much deeper. This nation, this group of people, however many thousands of people that you're trying to manage, the beauty of the unity of the people, the joy of the people coming together as a nation to build up the presence of God is going to crumble. It's actually going to disintegrate. It's not going to stand in the way it's supposed to stand. There's something much bigger at stake here than energy management. It's about will the nation stay together? In verse 18, the work is too heavy for you, which as we learned last week from Rabbi Ari and from other conversations that we had, is actually the same word that means glorious. And I love that particular verse because something about what is happening here with Jethro's advice to Moses is not, again, just about heaviness, weight, load, energy. It's actually about something spiritual. It's about something glorious. It's about something that God is trying to do in this world. And then, like a good movie, like a good script that opens with a word and closes with the same word, this passage right here does the exact same thing in verse 18. Starts with, it is not good for you to be alone, and it ends with the phrase, you cannot handle it alone by yourself. So what does Moses do? He hears all of this. We go through all of that drama, all of that setup, creation, narrative, backwardsness. It's not the same. It's definitely against what God intended in the created order of Genesis. And now that's being applied to the nation building of Exodus. What does he do? He follows along. He says, okay. He schmas. He listens. He pays attention and he heeds his father. And then he does this. He goes off and he finds this beautiful list. Men of strength, Men of fortitude, God-fearers, people who trust and love the Lord, people who are trustworthy, people who are the same in private as they are in public, the people who do what they say that they're going to do, these kinds of people. And then I love this particular description, haters of selfish gain. Oh, if we could have politicians who hated selfish gain. Oh, if we could have pastors and teachers and leaders and government officials and principals and heads of state and CEOs who hated selfish gain. So again, this isn't just about delegation. Get a bunch of people to do the work that you're doing so you don't have to do it. This is about thinking clearly about how to govern the people well and make sure that when you do the delegation, when you find those people, make sure that they meet very specific standards of criteria. This is really, really important because the care of the entire community is at stake here. Now, once Moses does this, there's this little clue that happens in chapter 18 if you read it carefully. Moses thinks, and he says so verbally, I'm doing this. I'm surrounded by the people. Why? Because they're coming to me so that I can judge, so that I can make judgments. Jethro says, this is not good. For one person to make judgments about the interpretation of what God means in this world. So his role shifts. Once Moses begins to appoint these leaders, these men, once he begins to do this and send them off in hundreds and fifties and tens, etc. Moses is no longer charged with judgment. 
Moses is charged with care. His role shifts from being the divine interpreter of all things Yahweh to now saying, here's what I believe God is saying to us and we should take care to heed and to listen. His role radically shifts from being the person with the red phone directly to God and all the people are looking to Moses to know exactly what does God mean, how shall we interpret what God is saying, to being the person who's just cautioning the people, loving the people, caring for the people, and making sure that the people don't get off course. And the people that are now charged with judging, the people that are now charged with figuring out and interpreting what God has to say is no longer with one person. It's with a large group of people. That is significant. That is a radical shift. Moses, the only judge, the only one who understands what God is saying, what he means, what he's interpreting, how we should live this out. He shifts from now my job is to pastor, to care. And the literal Hebrew is to caution the people. To make sure that they know that we shouldn't step over these boundaries. To make sure, and the whole caution word is just that word to protect. And all of that shifts, the judgment, the interpretation shifts to this body of people. That's huge. That's huge. If they do this, and if they can follow through with this, with which it looks like they do, as God so commands, you, which means all of you, will be able to stand, to be upright, rather than to crumble, you will be strong. And you'll be able to stand the strain. So Moses and all the people will go home satisfied. All of the people, you and all those people, will stand in your place in peace. It's literally in shalom. You will stand in your place in peace. Now the word shalom, we should do a whole study on it one day. It's not just about the absence of war. Shalom is about the very presence of wholeness, community, connection. It's about functioning. It's about order. It's about everybody living with one another in accordance with the way God intended it. It's about harmony. It's about the fundamental foundations of a community and of a nation. And Moses, if you can delegate not just responsibility, but delegate this judgment of interpretation to a larger group of community... Your job is to care and caution for the community. And if everybody does this right, then we will be able to stand strong, stand firm. We will be able to live as the community, as the nation God intended. And you and all of these people will be in our place, whatever that place is. We will be able to be in that place in shalom, in wholeness, in peace, in completeness. That is my best description in a very short period of time of the Jethro principle. Delegation, not of responsibility, but of interpretation of judgment. And let judgment reign in a larger group of people. And you, Moses, shift from being the sole progenitor of what God's will is to being somebody who cares and shepherds the people. Now, why is this radical? Why is this such a shift? Why is this brilliant? Where did they come from? Where did they come from? How is governance, religious and civil governance, 
How does that happen in the entire ancient Near East? How does this happen? Pharaoh. Pharaoh is not a delegator of responsibility, nor a delegator of the interpretation of what the God or gods need. If Pharaoh says it, I believe it, that settles it. Put that on your bumper sticker. (laughs) Pharaoh is not just king. He is also the prophet. He is also the priest. He presides over all things civil governance. He presides over all things religious governments. He presides over all things social. And this is exactly what the Israelites have come out of. For 400 years, they know nothing but a dictatorial hierarchical, comes down, this is how it's got to be, and whatever he says goes in all of those areas of governance. And this is the way it was in Mesopotamia as well, if you read ancient Babylonian or Assyrian texts. The king plays the role of all of those pieces of the puzzle. And you don't dare usurp or try to even question what the king says, because that is the off with your head. So why is this brilliant? And why is this a development of governance that the world has never seen before? Because in those ancient worlds, in those ancient mindsets, the idea that civil governance, social governance, and religious governance, the idea that all of those kinds of governance, how they need to live into this world, it only comes under one head. They are essentially one and the same. And whatever I say as a religious leader now should go as the civic peace. And whatever I say as the civic leader now needs to be governed in the social peace. They are all conflated into one. And what happens in this Jethro principle in this Exodus 18 is astounding when you take a look and you think about Egyptian governance and Mesopotamian governance. That which was all one thing essentially gets broken down into separate kinds of areas. It gets separated And now, instead of having one person over one thing, here in Exodus 18, we begin to see the development of a shift of a balance of power. No longer do civil, societal, and religious governances fall under one head. Moses, your job is to be the prophet Your job is to make sure that the society is cared for. Your job is to make sure that the social governances of how things work and how people interact, care for, caution them, love them. But you know the religious governances, the ideas of exactly how things are supposed to be, exactly how things are supposed to go at the temple and at the tabernacle, etc. That's not for you. That's for somebody else. And later on throughout the rest of the scriptures, you're going to see the development of a kingly government, which is the civil governance. And this is the beginning in Exodus 18. This is the beginning of taking that which was under one head and beginning to separate it into different levels of governance. It's a balance of power. It's a delegation of responsibility and authority. And it's the idea to make sure that not one person can tell exactly how things need to be in all areas of society. I'm going to suggest to you that this is the very beginnings. This is the very first glimpse that we get that the scriptures, that the biblical narrative, and why this is so brilliant, is beginning to caution against a theocracy. It's beginning to caution against that which was Egypt, which was a theocracy, and Babylonia, which was a theocracy. The idea that the king was not just king, 
but he was also God. That he was also the civil governance, he was the religious governance, all in one head. And this beginning in chapter 18 is the beginning of, no, 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 no. That is not going to work. That is not going to be healthy. And that is not going to be in accordance with the creation order that God ultimately intended. This is now spreading all of these areas of governance to many, many people. So that you can begin to hear the wise among you. So that you can begin to hear those who are aged among us, who have wisdom and insight. It's not just from one person. Some have even suggested that this is the beginnings, the beginning stages of a democratic society. I think there's a lot of debate about that, so I don't want to push on that too hard. But some have suggested that starting here with the Hebrews, this is the very beginning of that kind of society, that kind of governance. In the world of Pharaoh, Authority is governed because I said so. Authority is governed because I am the boss, I'm the pastor, I'm the matriarch, I'm the head of state. And authority is governed because I've been around much longer than you. That's what happens under a governance of Pharaoh, under a governance of a theocracy, under a governance of one head. But here, this shift now changes that governance system to saying, it's not because I said so. It's because there's wisdom among us. There's learning among us. And Moses' job shifts from being the prime person to say what that wisdom is to being the person who cares about the wisdom that is growing up amongst the people. Oh, so-and-so over here. We know that he is God-fearing, that he's trustworthy, uh, that he hates selfish gain. That person over there in our community, that person has wisdom. We should probably listen to that. You know what? I also know so-and-so over here. That person also hates selfish gain, is trustworthy. Uh, That person we should also listen to as well. Authority shifts from position and title, pharaoh, king. Authority shifts to who is wise among us, who is learned among us, who has things that can contribute to this community, that can make us all together experience the full peace and shalom of God. In other words, wisdom is not something that comes from one person. Wisdom is something that comes from wherever it comes. Here's the kicker about this passage. People in religious circles, and I've been in conversations and I've been in meetings where this has happened. If somebody doesn't happen to think exactly like we do religiously, then we disregard almost everything else that they say about other disciplines that they might happen to be Proficient at. What is Jethro? He's not a Hebrew. He's a Midianite. He's not even a part of the tribe of Moses. And Moses heeds his wisdom. So here at the very beginning stages of this developing nation, there seems to be a practice that says wisdom wherever wherever it comes from. You as a people of God, recognize that that wisdom can be used for the building and the development of your nation. And by the separating of all these particular powers, by the separating of all these particular areas, you start to realize, okay, somebody over there maybe doesn't believe everything that we believe religiously, but they have expertise about a particular area that would be greatly 
helpful for us as a church, as a community, as a family. Because wisdom comes from wherever it comes. One of the great exemplars of this in my mind is the leadership summit that Willow Creek puts on every year. And for those of you who have gone, you know that they have a very high value for really good leadership principles. And guess what? They put people up on stage who aren't Christians. Why? Because we can learn from anybody. We can learn from anybody who has wisdom, anybody who has studied, anybody who has insight into this world. Wisdom comes from wherever it comes. Jethro is not a part of the Hebrews. Jethro is not a part of that line. He's a Midianite. He's essentially a foreigner. Moses, by the way, earlier in that passage, names his son Gershom, which means foreigner. Moses is essentially a foreigner in his land. He knows that we're not of the same tribe, and yet he heeds Jethro's wisdom. And so all three of these things, the idea that there's people amongst us that can help to govern, the idea that authority comes not from position, but it comes from wisdom, and the idea that wisdom comes from wherever it comes from, these three begin to form the foundation for turning the chaos of this crazy nation back into the Genesis order that God intended where he took crazy chaos and turned it into something orderly and where it should be. Are you with me? Now check this out. Does some of this sound familiar? Does some of this sound familiar? The separation of powers, the delegation of wisdom from the people. Some would argue that what we just went over very quickly, because I know we have important things to do very quickly, Some would argue that what we've covered actually is the very beginnings of some of the values that we hold so dear. The idea that certain branches of government should be separated from one another, related to one another. The idea of separation of church and state. The idea that there's wisdom of the people which lends itself to the freedom of speech and the freedom of the press. And the idea that living in a pluralistic society where there's wisdom from all other different areas. Some would argue and suggest that what we just went over in Exodus 18 is the very beginning seeds of that. And as you see the development of governance of the nation of Israel, all the way through even to the New Testament, some of these themes begin to pop up even again. Even into the New Testament where Rome is once again going to be both civil governance and religious governance. And these values, this ethic, this Jethro principle, begins to set the foundation for who we are as a people. To have open minds, to think about wisdom wherever it comes from, and to avoid the closed-mindedness of the one person. I stand here because the people seek God's interpretation from me. I'm here because I'm the one who's going to be the judge. That single-mindedness is disrupted when Jethro interrupts and says, what you're doing That single-mindedness is not good. Danielle shared with me an article from Thomas Friedman. Um, It's about fundamentalism. And I know there's a lot of problems with a lot of these terms that we often use. Um, Hopefully, talks like these only spark additional conversations. They don't end them. But this quote I thought was appropriate for this particular message. Because what we just went over is a little bit against what we're fighting even to this particular day. 
In his article, he writes, Otto Scharmer, an economist at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology who works with com communities trapped in perpetual conflicts, defines the main features of the fundamentalist mindset by its opposites. What is the opposite of an open mind, he asks? You are stuck in one truth. That sounds like what Moses was doing. What is the opposite of an open heart? You are stuck in one collective skin. Everything is us versus them, and therefore empathy for the other is impossible. I am the one who, am who is judging. I am the one who is interpreting. And if anybody else has an interpretation, it must be wrong because I'm the one who stands in that place. And what is the opposite of an open will? You are enslaved to old intentions that originate in the past and not from the present. So you cannot open up to any new emerging opportunities, which is exactly what was going on with the Israelites. They had extricated themselves. They had been freed, liberated out of Egypt. And now they're opening up into a brand new area. What does it mean to be a nation? What does it mean to be a people? And what does it mean to be a people that represent the full beauty and order and presence of God's creation in this world? These are the new opportunities that are coming. Will we as a people open up ourselves and will Moses as a leader open up himself to new opportunities for how to engage in this? Open mind, empathetic heart, new and emerging opportunities. That's exactly what's going on with these people. The next couple chapters that we're going to get to in a couple weeks, 19, 20, 21. If this new governance is taking hold, what is coming next? except what maybe we would call a new constitution, a new rule for how this governance will play out. So these Ten Commandments that are coming falls right into line with what I'm suggesting is the flow of this Exodus narrative. Open mind, empathetic heart, new and emerging opportunities. And I see this happen. I see this applicable to parenting. I see this applicable to business, entrepreneurship, the idea that new and emerging opportunities require us to have open minds. And there's people that write about business, about how the world is shifting, the internet, social media, etc. New and emerging opportunities. We must think differently about power. We must think differently about structures. We must think differently about who's ultimately in charge and where authority comes from. I see this in teaching. And then, of course, I see this, of course, in religion. Open mind, empathetic heart, new and emerging opportunities. And this, my friends, is what I would suggest is the very beginnings of the brilliant biblical development of how these people are going to govern themselves. That will take them all the way into the future. They're going to have some fits and starts, no doubt. They're going to have some failures, epic failures, no doubt. But the wisdom from this foreigner to the prophet of God is the very first seeds of let's think about how we govern ourselves differently. Let's think about our ideas differently. Let's think about our judgments differently. Let's think about our community differently. Let's think about the wisdom that exists amongst us differently. This, I would suggest to you, is the new Jethro principle. This is what it means to take that wisdom and that advice. And if we could build a community that lives with these ethics and these values, then maybe we will all of us together stand as a nation, as a community, in the very shalom, peace, and wholeness that God intended. You're sitting next to somebody who has great wisdom. You are in community with people who have great authority because of their wisdom. And all of us together, collectively, as we lend our voices to this community, 
we'll be able to build a strong and robust community and nation the way that God intended. Lord, thank you for this group. Thank you for Jethro. Thank you for that foreigner who gave us some wisdom and some advice. And I know that tonight was quick and heady, but I also pray that the brilliance of what is happening in this passage is not lost on us. And that we would humble ourselves, that we would begin to embrace wisdom wherever it comes from, for our broken hearts, for our parenting, for our teaching, for our leadership, for our business, whatever it is, and that we would begin to embrace this brilliance of how to govern in this world. I I pray that our minds and our hearts would recognize that single-minded judgment is not good and that we would open up our hearts, have new empathies for each other, and embrace new and emerging opportunities as a community as we move into this future. And I pray all this in your name. Amen.